well, Alex isn't here, and I don't have a fill-in host. I guess it's just me this week, by myself, recording solo. Um, okay. All right, Cam, you got this. This is your time to shine. Time to be a podcast hero. Ah! Dansby throws to first base. Is this happening? It is. The Atlanta Braves are world champions. Welcome to the Chatting Average Podcast presented by Sports Drink. Here are your hosts, Cam Matthews and Welcome to your friendly neighborhood Atlanta Braves podcast. Welcome to Chatting Average. I'm your host, Mr. Cam Matthews, flying solo this week. Uh, just a little bit of background on that. Uh, Alex had a had a prior commitment that he was not going to be able to be on the pod this week with us. And I did have a fill-in host. And unfortunately, technology had other plans uh, here on this fine Sunday afternoon. So I was left uh, left with really no other choice but to go ahead and just record a solo pod for you fine listeners. And of course, as always, want to thank you for listening to the Chatting Average Podcast. Boy, I tell you, it has been uh, been a heck of a journey uh, so far here on this fine program over the past what will be uh, about two and a half seasons now as we approach the midpoint of the year with the all-star break coming up here in just uh, just a couple of days. Uh, I am recording this on Sunday afternoon. It is Sunday, July 17th, right around 3 p.m. The Braves are currently playing the Nationals in Game 4 of their weekend series, currently trailing 5-3, to three, but hey, after getting down 4 to nothing at the very beginning of that game, a uh, bit of a rough inning for Spencer Strider. To be right back into this one seemingly uh, is really no shock considering uh, how we all know what this Braves team is capable of. But uh, but yeah, yeah, flying solo here on the show for the very first time this week. You know, it's funny, the first, uh, I think the first season uh, that Alex and I did this podcast, each of us maybe missed one episode the entire year. And then last year, you know, we both missed a couple. And then and then this year, you know, I missed a few getting moved into my house. And then Alex went on vacation and, yeah, and, and missed, a, missed a couple. But Alex also did a solo pod earlier in the year. So so here I am doing my own solo pod. So uh, fun times. But uh, again, you know, thank you all. Thank you all for listening and interacting, interacting with the show. Uh, speaking of the show, you can be sure to follow us on Twitter. We, you can find us at average chatting that is the show account then of course alex and i both have our own solo accounts you can find me at heycam93 you know i would be just at heycam on twitter but unfortunately that username is taken and it is taken by somebody who does tweet regularly so i don't look like i'll get that one anytime soon although we're still trying to make a push to get at chatting average because that was just sitting dormant and then of course you can find alex at riley's rakes the uh, the impression the impressive Riley's Rakes account of course uh, so be sure to give us a follow on Twitter come and interact with us hang out you know uh, we we love 
hearing from you guys, of course. Um, you know, it, it's always neat week in, week out, seeing some new names pop up in the replies to the show, uh, the show account, and, uh, you know, chatting back with us. And that's what we're all here about. You know, we're just trying to create a, a fun community uh, full of average chatters. Of course, you can f- check out our merchandise as well. It's been a little while since we've plugged our T-shirts, uh, but we've uh, we've seen a, we've seen a few folks uh, grab some of those this past week. But you can find us, of course, at teespring.com slash stores slash chatting average podcast. Uh, we've got some ideas for some new shirts coming along the way, so be sure to keep an eye out for that. I tell you, it, it has been a it's been a heck of a season so far. You know, Alex and I can certainly dive into this. I believe he's planning to be back next week. But you know, looking at the season where it currently stands right now, when you think about the first couple of seasons or first couple of months of this season, you know, the Braves really were struggling to to find their footing, and I think a lot of people started to feel like it was maybe a, a repeat of last year. Um, and you had to you had to beg the question of can you pull off that sort of late season magic like you did in 2021 and I, and I think the answer there probably is no. You know what the Braves did last season in terms of the moves they made at the deadline and the push that they made in August and September that is you know that that's unprecedented uh, that's an unprecedented rebound. And so I think to expect Atlanta to be able to do the same thing again this year, to have pushed that that mediocre start that far again this year, certainly could not have played out well in their favor. Fortunately, you roll into the month of June, and then the Braves go on a 14-game winning streak, and they you know they've continued their winning ways into the month of July as well. And you know you're talking about a team that right now that you know if they're able to pull off a win today. They will finish before the All Star break at 20 games over 500. Just think about that. This is a team that you know saw a 500 record the first weekend of the season, and then stayed below that until you got to June. Now here we are, um, entering the last third of the month of July and you currently sit right around 20 games over 500. I, you know, that, that tells me that, you know, maybe there was a bit of a world series hangover in there that, um, you know, things weren't just clicking how they needed to. But I think we all knew, you know, when you, if you look closely enough at this team and you follow them closely, like we all seem to do, we knew the, the potential of this team. So, it's certainly starting to pan itself out, um, and we'll dive into the Mets series, of course, later on in the show. And I think there's still plenty of good to take away from that series. And you know, I think there was a lot of a lot of emphasis put on the Mets series this past week. But I believe that while yes, it was a big time three games, it was also by no means the end all be all of what this season can and should be. Um, and I think I think we all know that. But nonetheless, you know, I think uh, sans the first maybe six, seven weeks of the season, this has been a, just a really fun ride of a season. Um, you know, that certainly has had some really high highs and a couple of low lows. I think, you know, I think if you look back to that last game in, in May against the Diamondbacks um, and where we slipped to ten and a half games, Back, you know, back of the Mets, I think 
to this point in the year, that might have been the lowest point of the season for a lot of people, including myself, because when you look at that big double-digit number... I'm Michael Judson-Berry. And I'm Paris Nicholson. And we're both influencers. We're also your amazing hosts of The Social Dose, a fabulous new podcast where we serve your weekly dose of social's most important stories. It's like the yassification of news brought to you by us, Paris and Michael. Join us and special correspondents three times a week, every week. So listen to The Social Dose from Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of a sudden, you start to wonder if if they have it in them. You know, now we've gotten it, you know, we've gotten it back. We've trimmed it to less than a game, at, you know, at one point last week. So um, I think I think the boys are still in it. I think there's still a lot of potential for that. And, and I think there's been a lot of fun moments uh, along the way here this year. I tell you, uh, you cannot you cannot put enough emphasis on what Michael Harris II has meant to this team uh, here in the first half. You, you know, it just initially became a spark plug, uh, not only for this offense but for this defense. Because for one thing, on the defensive side of the ball, you're able to plug him into center field, and suddenly that takes a lot of pressure off of either an Adam Duvall or even a Ronald Acuna having to go out there and play center field. And then for another thing, for such a young player to be hitting as well as he is, to be able to slot him in in the nine hole and then have either Ronald or Dansby, depending on if Ronald has a day off, slot him in, you know, in the one spot, that makes, you know, that makes Michael uh, just a, an extremely dangerous nine-hole hitter. Um, so, you know, it, it's if you were to throw in there who is the, the first half rookie of the year for the Braves, you know, it, it of course, you know, that's between Michael Harris and, and Spencer Strider. It's a really hard conversation because then on the flip side, Spencer Strider is just having a, a ridiculous uh, rookie campaign for for the Braves, um, just an absolute strikeout machine. Yeah, he's had a, having a bit of a rough day today, but you know, find me a pitcher who doesn't have a few rough outings every year. Nobody stays perfect, but you know, I, I think it, it we're such a <laughs> we're such a fortunate fan base to have to be able to have that argument about who potentially from the Braves should win rookie of the year because if you have a if you have a season in which you can argue that more than two guys or, or more than one guy should be up for one of the one of the major awards at the end of the season odds are things are going pretty well for you you know if you can argue that that player A and player B should should win the Cy Young or player A or player B could win the MVP or you know in this case could win rookie of the year odds are things are going pretty well for you uh, and, and it's certainly uh, certainly no fault to say that things are going very well for the Braves uh, due in part to Spencer Strider stepping up into that fifth starter role um you know started out the year coming out of the bullpen you know got some long relief uh looks and then finally was given a chance as you know the fifth starter and uh, you know coming back from the all-star break today's sunday i would not necessarily be opposed to spencer possibly slotting a little higher in the rotation either at three or four um, you know, I, I think if you're able to pull it off going into next weekend uh, against the Angels, if you're able to 
slot in Max Freed at your number one, Kyle Wright as your number two, and then, and then Spencer Strider as your number three, which he has been performing like a number three. You know, no, nothing against Charlie Morton or Ian Anderson, who have had some up and down outings this year, but, you know, consistently Strider has been the more effective pitcher. That's a heck of a one, two, three punch right there. And I've always said it too, that if Charlie Morton or Ian Anderson are your four and five pitchers in your rotation, you're doing okay, especially Ian Anderson, who I think still has a lot of potential there if he could develop a third pitch. But if Ian Anderson is your number five, things could be a whole lot worse. Um, so, you know, a, a lot a lot to chew on there, and I could certainly see a reshuffling of the rotation uh, coming back out of the break. But, but that's next weekend. Let's take a quick break and talk about something coming up this week, and that is the 2022 Home Run Derby. All right. So coming up, as mentioned, uh, this week is the All-Star Break, and with that comes all the fun All-Star Break activities. Uh, Of course, here on Sunday night, we have the kickoff to the MLB Draft for 2022, the first couple of rounds going on later on this evening, which will have happened already by the time that you're listening to this fine podcast, but... As some would say, including myself, the best part of the All-Star break occurs on Monday night. So the very evening of the of the uh, release of this podcast is the 2022 Home Run Derby. I tell you, this is one of my favorite sporting events every year. Um, I'm not sure I've ever watched one that I did not find enjoyment out of, uh, which, you know, you certainly cannot say about, uh, about all-star games, although the all-star game still has, still has some luster to it, you know, there, there's still some novelty to the idea of having an all-star game. Of course, not as much anymore, though, uh, with so much interleague play going on, but uh, there's still a novelty to it. But I tell you, the Home Run Derby is always just a blast this year. Of course, uh, all-star festivities coming from Los Angeles, uh, the Dodgers playing host to the Derby and all-star game uh, here this year. Uh, the brackets were finally finally set uh, just, uh, just a few days ago uh, after uh, all eight seats were finally filled up. So uh, the bracket as it stands currently will feature uh, number one seed Kyle Schwarber against number eight seed Albert Pujols, number four seed Juan Soto against number five seed Jose Ramirez, and then on the other side of the bracket, you have number two, Pete Alonzo versus number seven, Ronald Acuna. And then number three, Corey Seager going up against number six, the rookie, Julio Rodriguez. So some interesting matchups here in this one. So, of course, uh, the first one that we're going to talk about is Kyle Schwarber against uh, against Albert Pujols. Now, Kyle Schwarber, of course, I believe, is still leading the league in home runs, has been, an, has been on an absolute tear at the plate this year uh, when it comes to the long ball. Kind of an all-or-nothing hitter, it seems, uh, at times, which he has been for quite a bit uh, quite a bit of his career. Going up against the machine, Albert Pujols, in what is, uh, what is likely his final season, his swan song, so to speak, um... So coming back once again uh, for the home run derby. Now this is an interesting matchup because I think it caught a lot of people off guard that Pujols was going to be uh, going to be in the derby this year. But you know, I, as as kind of a novelty thing, you know, as kind of a 
kind of a meaningless exhibition, so to speak. I think it's really cool that a guy of Albert's stature, uh, of you know, is going to be is going to be in it once again. Uh, I believe. Uh, let's see. This will be the fifth time in his career that uh, that. Albert will be in the in the home run derby, and uh, Albert, of course, won it back in 2009, and I feel like he won another one uh, somewhere along the way there, but we know he's won at least one. This will be his fifth uh, home run derby appearance, but he'll have to go up against uh, the leading home run hitter in the league in Kyle Schwarber. So, uh, also participating in Derby is Juan Soto from the Nationals going up against the Cleveland Guardians' Jose Ramirez. This is a, uh, I feel like this is going to be a really interesting matchup because Juan Soto, I believe, is, you know, is kind of in the upper echelon of, of known MLB players, right? Like, you know, young guy uh, playing for the Washington Nationals really had, you know, really had a lot of buzz during their World Series run, you know, and of course there's all the news surrounding him now about what his potential future may look like uh, coming up here soon. Uh, Of course, with the news dropping this weekend that he had once again turned down an offer from the Nationals, this time a 15-year, $440 million contract. Um... And it sounds like the Nationals are open to trading him, but boy, I would hate to see the haul that it takes to pull uh, pull Juan Soto to uh, whatever respected team he ends up with. Uh, so it's interesting in the fact that you know you've got Juan Soto um, going up against a guy in Jose Ramirez, who on the flip side of that coin, in terms of notoriety, is kind of one of the quieter great baseball players in the current game, right? Um, I think, you know, if, if you if you pay real close attention to, to baseball, then obviously you know who Jose Ramirez is, but I think, you know, an average fan who might be turning on the home run derby tomorrow night, you know, just to watch it, or, you know, who might be going to a watch party or what have you, who doesn't pay that close attention, probably will know who Juan Soto is, or at least has heard the name, I would hope, uh, but might not necessarily know who Jose Ramirez is. So, fun matchup there. Um, I, I'm not really going to go into any predictions here in, in this because um, I don't really think it matters all that much. You know, we've seen guys who should have dominated the Derby get eliminated in the first round. You know, you, you just never know with these kinds of things. Uh, but fun matchup there. Now, on the opposite side of things, um, you have Corey Seager from the Texas Rangers going up against the Seattle Mariners rookie Julio Rodriguez. Now, interesting couple of notes on this one. Of course, Corey Seager making his return to Dodger Stadium. There are no Dodger players in the Derby this year. Um, Kind of surprising. I thought there would be at least one. You know, usually you try to have somebody uh, from the home turf participating in in this contest, but uh, none, none from the Dodgers. But I'm sure Corey Seager will... We'll get the the Dodgers fans warm welcome uh, for participating in, in the Derby. Look, going up against the uh, the rookie Julio Rodriguez, uh, who's having just a, a stellar rookie campaign. Hit his first career Grand Slam earlier this week. Um, you know, is going above and beyond what I believe a lot expected him to be. I mean, he is he is just an absolute sensation and uh, something that Seattle ha- has desperately needed. Um, needed within their organization, you know, they really haven't had that that spark plug, key cornerstone player, really since since Felix Hernandez. Um, 
you know, that's kind of the last guy that they had. And so I think for a team like Seattle, who's really trying to build something back up out there, or at least so it seems, um, you know, Julio Rodriguez is a great, great step in the right direction. And of course, you know, the, the Mariners are on a heck of a streak right now, too. Um, you know, they, they currently have the longest winning streak in, in all of baseball, or at least they did. I'm not sure. They may have lost last night. Pause real quick. Take a take a look at that. No, no, the Mariners still won. So that being said, the Mariners, you know, have now won thirteen in a row. Uh, they currently sit ten games back in first place in their division, but they do currently have a half game lead for the second wild card spot. Uh, for the American League. So, you know, you're talking about a team that is making a playoff push now, and Julio Rodriguez is a big part of that. So, uh, kind of a veteran versus rookie sort of sort of feel here, because Corey Seager, you know, ha- has slotted some, some uh, quality playing time in the league, and, you know, is probably the best player the Rangers have at this point. I'm not even sure you can say probably undoubtedly is. Um, so, a fun matchup there from two guys that, um, you know, size wise may not look like they translate to home runs, so to speak. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I think both of them could be surprising. Uh, I think Julio especially, uh, could be a bit of a dark horse in, in this contest merely from the fact that, you know, a lot of times when we see a rookie or a young player come into this, they always impress. Um, you know, you think back to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., a few years ago, uh, making basically his baseball debut in the home run derby before he had actually logged an official game. Um, you think of something like that. I think Julio could could certainly have a good showing here, but you know, don't don't knock Corey Seager either, um, who has hit plenty of home runs in Dodger Stadium in his day. Uh, although he might have a different uniform on uh, now, uh, I think he could certainly uh, put some numbers on the charts as well. And finally, our last matchup. Uh, in this year's home run derby will be Pete Alonzo, the reigning two-time champ going up against the Atlanta Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, Pete Alonzo, like him or hate him, is absolutely built for uh, for the home run derby. I mean, the past two years, he has, you know, pretty much dominated this contest. Um, you know, having won it two years in a row, now going for a third, you know, Ronald's got a huge task ahead of him. That being said, I think, you know, I've seen a lot of people say that they think, you know, Ronald going into this contest could be the thing that that sparks him up. And I I tend to agree, honestly. Um, I think a contest like this where, you know, it's loose, it's have fun, but at the end of the day, you know, you get to show that, you know, you still have the power because I feel like a, a lot of people have questioned Ronald's power since coming back from the IL. Um, because you know the numbers just haven't been there like they like they have been in the past. I think you know if he can go out there and at least have a good showing and have fun with it and stay loose, and I think that could be a good thing for Ronald. You know, psychologically coming back into the second half of the season to maybe loosen up a little bit. Because you, I, I do almost wonder if you know coming off of an injury like he did. If I'm not gonna say play, he's playing reserved. But, you know, you have to wonder if it's in the back of your mind, too, about an injury like he sustained happened so nonchalantly, almost. Um, 
And so I think, you know, there's probably some self-doubt there about what he can do. Now, that that's not to say that Ronald is still not the, you know, the the speedy, hustling, you know, swaggy player that we've come to know and love. But I think, you know, I think there's, there's still a little bit of for lack of a better term, there's still a little bit of saran wrap over over his playing this year, it feels like. Like, I haven't, I feel like we still have not seen Ronald fully bust out from, from missing last season. So here's to hoping that, you know, participating in something as, you know, as kind of carefree and, and as fun and exciting as a home run derby might be the thing to, to kind of kick that second half off for him. Um, I certainly hope so. And a lot of people tend to think that, uh, that this might be the thing to do it uh, for for Ronnie. So I'm looking forward to a great home run derby. It's one of my favorite events, like I said, every single year, having a little watch party here at the house, uh, having having some having some folks over, just a good time. Um, another one of those things that does make baseball great, but wish there could be more stuff like this uh, involved in the All-Star break as well. Maybe, maybe one day, maybe one day. Well, that's enough about, about the home run derby and the extracurriculars uh, going on in baseball right now. Let's, uh, let's take a quick pause and we'll come back and review the Braves previous week and look ahead at their upcoming schedule. So the beginning of the week saw the Braves welcome the New York Metropolitans, the first place team of the NL East into Atlanta. You know, Bobby and I spoke on this series last week as means of a preview and talked about, you know, really what what this series means and what it also doesn't mean. I think uh, from a from what it means a standpoint, it shows a good barometer of where both teams are at currently. What it doesn't mean, of course, is the end of uh, end of the NL East race. Because by no means are you winning the division in the month of July, and as closely as these these two teams are playing each other currently, you know a, a quick three game set was not going to determine really much of anything in terms of where things will end up uh, come the end of the season. Uh, the Mets and Braves, after this three game series, still have twelve more games to play against each other, uh, so still a lot more to figure out between now and then. But let's dive into Game One of the three game set against New York: Max Scherzer versus Max Freed in this one. And I tell you, this game uh, essentially comes down to pitching. Uh, Max Scherzer was at his absolute best, and unfortunately, Max Freed not quite at his best, or really not quite uh, not quite as, as spotless as we would have hoped that he could be. Final score comes uh, by a final of 4-1. to one. Mets on top. Max Scherzer goes seven innings pitch, allowing one earned run, nine strikeouts, and no walks. Max Freed, on the other hand, only manages to go five innings, allowing two earned runs, uh, five strikeouts, and five walks. And they were a laborsome five innings at that. Uh, by no means did they come easy uh, whatsoever. So, you know, it, a tough outing for Max Freed in this one, unfortunately. And the Braves just not able to quite get anything going uh, up until the seventh inning. Seventh inning, Austin Riley hits a solo home run. But really, the only spark of offense that we saw in this one and, you know, and looking at it, the Mets, you know, just uh, other than the Luis Guillorme home run in the eighth, the Mets just playing small ball, you know, uh, putting the ball in play. And that's what they that's what they do. They they kind of they kind of 
you know, ticky tack you to death, uh, but it's working for them, and their record shows that. Uh, so the Mets take game one by a final score of four to one. Then we now move on to Tuesday night for game two against the Mets. Spencer Strider on the mound opposite Doug Peterson for the Mets. And this was a game that uh, was kind of kind of a quiet one uh, through the first four innings. Nothing really going for either team. Spencer gets into a bit of a jam here in the fifth. And then a uh, Francisco Lindor triple scores Brandon Nimmo, uh, giving the Mets a one to nothing lead in the top of the fifth inning. But then suddenly you get to the bottom of the sixth and the Braves offense finds it, uh, putting two runs up in the sixth off a Matt Olson two-run homer. And then in the seventh, uh, with a two-run homer by Adam Duvall, and that score would uh, would provide your final. AJ Minter comes on for the save in the bottom or in the top of the ninth, four to one. So a bit of a mirror image of the game from the night before. Braves on top this time, uh, and have split the first two games with the Mets. Going into the daytime game uh, later uh, the next day. But, you know, again, uh, the offense kind of hard to find here in this one. Yeah, you put four runs on the board, but, you know, you look up and down, uh, look up and down the lineup. No, uh, no, no guys with double hits. You know, Ronald Cooney goes one for four, Matt Olson one for four, Riley one for four, Darno and Duvall uh, both had one base hit each. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of one of those games where hits were hard to find, but the ones that you did get, you made count, and uh, that, that's what you have to do some games to be able to pull out the victory. We head on to game three against the Mets, this time a daytime game. Charlie Morton on the mound opposite Chris Bassett, and well, unfortunately, out of the three games in this series, this one was probably the ugliest, despite the Braves making some noise at the end. Uh, through the top of the sixth inning, Mets have a 5 to nothing lead. Uh, eventually stretch that out to a 7-1 to one lead. Braves try to make it interesting in the eighth and ninth, tacking on a couple more runs, but eventually give you your final of 7-3. to three. Yeah, this is one of those games that, you know, you kind of, you almost wonder if you just fell out of it too early. Um, if there was maybe a bit of fatigue coming into a game three like this in July. Um, you know, so the Braves lose the series to the Mets. Mets take two out of three in this one. Charlie Morton comes away with the loss going five innings pitch, allowing five runs, six strikeouts, and three walks. So some thoughts on this series all in all, I think, you know, I think what it showed was that theoretically the the Braves had the chance or had the potential at least to to, to win this series. You know, um, Max Scherzer, you just have to tip your cap to him in game one for the outing that he had. Uh, but also Max Freed wasn't his best in that game. And then uh, here in this one, you know, a Charlie Morton, you never quite know what you're going to get with Charlie. So it's one of those things where you never necessarily felt like you were totally out of this series. But I think it is interesting watching the style of play that the Mets have. Where um, it, I, I made this comparison to somebody earlier in the week. But playing the Mets almost feels like playing uh, the Virginia Cavaliers in college basketball. For any college basketball fans out there. And what I mean by that is that in no way what they do is it flashy. Um, but 
it's it's very precise it's very methodical and it works and it works in a way that makes it feel like they are smothering the other team um, in this series that's just the feeling you got quite a bit of the time is that they were just smothering you the way that hits were hard to come by the way they would rattle off two or three base hits in a row on their own you know to put a run across the board and that run felt like five runs and you know it, it's just a very interesting dynamic in, in a lot of ways these two these two teams are very much opposites but, you know, although Atlanta lost the series here and, you know, and split the four-game series earlier in the year, I think, you know, I think these two teams are still going to come down to the wire uh, when it's all said and done. By no means do I think uh, do I think either team will run away with the division. Uh, so it, it's going to be fun to watch coming down the stretch. Uh, but, you know, obviously you wish you could have taken this series. But, again, at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world uh, that the Mets won this one. So Wednesday was a getaway day for the Braves as they head out of town and travel up to the nation's capital to take on the Washington Nationals in a four-game weekend series. Game one coming on Thursday evening saw Kyle Wright taking on Anibal Sanchez. Now, Anibal Sanchez making his first start of the year coming off of injury and you know you, you weren't quite sure what you might get out of him. You know, you almost half-heartedly joked that you know, a guy like Anibal coming off the IL was just going to go out there and throw seven scoreless out of nowhere, you know, because that's usually the Braves' luck with these things like that. But not to be so here this evening as Sanchez goes five innings pitched, uh, four runs off of four hits, two walks, and five strikeouts. Kyle Wright, however, goes out and kind of does Kyle Wright things again, you know. It, I, and I don't mean that to sound ho-hum about what Kyle Wright is doing this season, but it's... It's almost, it's enjoyable to know that you can expect stuff like this from Kyle. Kyle going seven innings pitched, allowing two runs off of seven hits, one walk, and four strikeouts through 103 pitches across seven innings. Uh, you know, Kyle, again, is the type of guy now that fortunately you can put the ball in his hand and feel like he can go out there and, and give you a chance at this one but that's not to say that this one did not get interesting late so uh the braves uh, at one point are up four to two uh after washington had tied it in the bottom of the second two to two but michael harris hits a homer in the top of the fifth inning to give the braves a two-run lead and a matt holt matt olson homer in the sixth well he is on a tear this week uh puts the braves up five to two but then suddenly in the bottom of the eighth inning the nationals uh, with a Nelson Cruz single, uh, put puts the score at five to three, and then uh, then Franco in the bottom of the ninth homers off of Kenley Jansen, making his first appearance off of the IL uh, to make the score five to four. But uh, the score would hold there. Kenley's able to come in uh, with two strikeouts, only one earned run uh, for the save to give us a final score of five to four. So. Braves take game one uh, here in the four-game set. Friday night baseball action from Washington, D.C. Saw Ian Anderson take on Patrick Corbin. And this was this was an expected outcome and a not-so-expected outcome in some ways. Uh, you know, this, this kind of start between these two guys is one of those games where you can chalk up that 
you're not quite sure what you're going to get out of this one. Ian Anderson, of course, has been up and down all season long. And then Patrick Corbin, you know, at times looks like a you know a quality pitcher and then at other times looks like a horrible contract that the Nationals gave. So it was it was a kind of a kind of a matter of what version of these guys you were going to see on Friday evening. Well, we got that answer fairly quick as in the top of the first inning, the Braves put 3 on the board and then one more in the 4th uh, to jump out to a quick 4 to nothing lead. They would eventually stretch that all the way to 6 to nothing through 5 innings and then uh, the Nationals tried to make a little bit of noise in this one. The Braves tack on a couple of more Adam Duval uh, with another homer, Matt Olson having a heck of a night in this one going 3 for 5. Uh, with three RBI, I tell you, Matt apparently loves playing in Washington, D.C., because he has absolutely torn it up this series. Uh, Ian, Ian, of course, gets the win in this one, although his stat line might not be the most impressive one you ever see, going five and a third innings pitch, allowing one earned run, five strikeouts, and three walks. It's kind of one of those Ian, Ian outings where... If he can just figure out how to be a little more accurate and not work so many deep counts, you would hope that you could get more innings out of him. But again, he's still not quite making it through the sixth uh, more often than not. Patrick Corbin, likewise, uh, going only five innings pitched, allowing five earned runs, eight strikeouts, and two walks. A.J. Minter comes on for the save, and you hate to say that in a game that, you know, was not close coming into the ninth. The the score going into the bottom of the ninth is eight to one and then Will Smith comes on and whew. Okay, I guess we gotta talk about Will Smith guys. Um so Will Smith has suddenly reverted back to the closer quote unquote that we've gotten used to over the past couple of seasons. Um you know he was an absolute highlight in the twenty twenty one World Series run, but I tell you he just doesn't have it. And with Kirby Yates now uh, hopefully coming off the aisle very soon as he's starting to make re- uh, make rehab appearances, it's almost a wonder if Will Smith might not be making a phantom IL uh, uh, visit before too long to maybe clear the cobwebs a little bit or, or something because, you know, coming on for, for a seven-run lead and still having to get pulled because you've loaded the bases. You know, in a game, if, if there's a game in which you had a seven-run lead and suddenly you find yourself with the tying run at the plate, that's a problem. Uh, that's a big problem. Um, so final score comes by 8-4. to four. You know, it's a game that, yeah, you won. Yeah, you should be happy with it. And you are. But, man, I, I tell you, that, that ninth inning should have never been as stressful as it was. But... Braves get the win and take the first two games uh, before heading into Saturday. Now, Saturday's game was one that I believe uh, throughout the day was unsure if it was going to get played or not. Uh, All day long, we were reading reports of weather looking pretty rough in the D.C. area. Uh, But fortunately, the game did start on time. A quiet first couple of innings uh, in this one off the backs of a Max Freed start going up against Espino. 
And then that was until the top of the third inning where the Braves suddenly come alive for a four-run frame. Matt Olson once again uh, putting numbers on the board with a three-run homer followed up by an Austin Riley homer. So Matt Olson and Austin Riley going back-to-back. Austin Riley, of course, being named to the All-Star game after Nolan Arenado had to pull out due to a back strain. Deservingly so for Austin, though, of course, you know, you hate to see it under circumstances where a player gets hurt. But that being said, it, it's it was kind of hard to believe that a guy like Riley, who's put up the numbers that he has this year, was not going to make it into the All-Star game. But now that ship has been righted, of course, and uh, Riley is heading to L.A. along with a few other Braves. So uh, be on the lookout for that on Tuesday night. But the Braves jump out to a 4 to nothing lead. Nationals make it interesting, though. Bottom of the sixth, uh, they're able to get the game close. 4-3 to three is your score through six. And then into the seventh inning, uh, Dansby is able to uh, score Michael Harris off of a double to deep right center, 5-3. to three. And then top of the seventh, Travis Darno comes up and hits a single to center field, which scores Dansby and puts six, the sixth run of the game across the plate for Atlanta that score would hold not of course uh before or after a gosh almost two hour rain delay in the eighth inning for this one they do finish up this game uh nothing changes however in the final score of six to three is where we stand after nine innings uh, Ronald Acuna had this game off, but he was back in the lineup on Sunday. Just another uh, day of rest for Ronnie, which, you know, I think everybody should be fine with. Uh, you know, you don't want to overextend him. But Max Freed, uh, kind of having a break off, you know, kind of having a breakout uh, start here in this one, you know, in, in terms of shaking off his previous start, uh, going seven innings pitched, allowing seven hits, three runs, and four strikeouts with no walks. Uh, his ERA is down to 2.64 on the year. So Max Free, despite a, a rough, uh, rough you know, first couple of weeks of the season, and then a rough start against the Mets, has really been the staff ace uh, that we all know he could be here and uh, here for this team. So uh, the Braves take the first three. Uh, against Washington. Today's game, the Sunday game, is currently in the top of the ninth inning where Washington has a 7-3 lead. So unless the Braves have some kind of comeback in them uh, here this afternoon, it looks like they might drop game four against the Nationals. But, you know, going into D.C. and being able to take three out of four um, is always a good thing. And it's like we said on the on the program last week, uh, you know, any team – to take four games straight from somebody is an extremely hard thing to do. Um, you know, so not often do you see four game sweeps. Uh, so, you know, certainly win the series and things will come out. All right. In the wash, uh, down the road, looking across the scoreboard. So the New York Mets currently hold a two to one lead over the Cubs. Uh, and that game is in the top of the sixth. Now, as it stands right now, um, you know the the current standings. The Braves have Braves are two and a half games back. So at worst, after this afternoon, the Braves are going to go into the All Star break three and a half games back. That that's still completely manageable in, in my eyes. Um, you know that's 
considering that at one point we were we were ten and a half games back, I think there's not much room for worry there. And again, you still have twelve games left against the Mets uh, to make up some ground. So uh, so hold on, it's going to be a fun ride through the second half of the season. And of course, the second half of the year will kick off this coming weekend with a very exciting series against the Los Angeles Angels. So the Angels will come into this, come into Atlanta for the first time, and I don't know how long. I don't. I really don't remember the last time the Angels came to Atlanta. Part of me feels like maybe this is the first time Mike Trout has ever played in Atlanta. I don't know. Um, I really cannot remember the last time they played, and I probably should have looked that up. But again, I'm an average chatter, and I don't do that much extensive research. Uh, so there's that, and I'm sure somebody will correct me in the replies to the show, and that is fine. But a three-game set coming up against the Los Angeles Angels, which Alex and I will review on next week's podcast. No uh, no starting pitcher matchups announced as of yet, uh, as is standard coming out of the All-Star break because, as mentioned earlier, a lot of teams like to shuffle up their their lineups or, or their uh, rotations, rather, uh, coming out of the break. So keep an eye out for that. We'll probably know our, uh, our probables by Wednesday or Thursday of this week. Uh, looking ahead to next weekend, a 7.20 start on Friday, 7.20 start on Saturday, and a 1.35 afternoon game on Sunday. And beyond that, uh, we've got some uh, some divisional se- a divisional series and a non-divisional series uh, coming up back-to-back after the Angels. But we'll get to those next week in our preview. Uh, Alex should be back on the show. Hopefully technology is on our side next week and we can get back onto a more normal schedule here. But uh, again, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. It's always a great time. Uh, Alex and I both have just so much joy in doing this week in and week out for you guys. So uh, we love interacting with you. And hey, be sure to follow us on social media and uh, be sure to uh, to recommend the show to your friends. Uh, we would love to grow our listener base and, of course, uh, keep this thing rolling uh, as time goes on. And, of course, we want to remind you that today's episode of the Chatting Average Podcast is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram or Twitter and type in at sportsdrink, spelled just like sports drink, but without the vowels. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let the funk out. So for Cam Matthews, and the ghost of Alex Butler. This has been the Chatting Average Podcast. We'll catch y'all next week on a brand new show. This has been the Chatting Average Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. Be sure to check out our merchandise store at teespring.com slash stores slash Chatting Average Podcast. And please consider becoming a patron of our show at patreon.com slash Chatting Average. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode.